0: This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, senior minister Didi Bacon will be teaching the message. We've been working through a Bible book called Ruth. It's an old testament book, which means it's in the first part of our Bibles. And I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, whether they're printed or whether on you know on your tablets or phones to uh, be ready. We're going to be looking at a passage in Ruth chapter 1, and then we will uh, end it on a passage in Ruth chapter 4. Uh, Today marks the end of our series through Ruth, uh, looking at God's grace. And next week we shift into... Uh, this theme of being undeserved, and we look at the blessing of giving. We look at the blessing of being generous. We look at it from a point of view from God's Word in the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, and how that, that really forms the basis of our understanding of how our God has resourced us so that we can be difference makers in the world as He is the owner and we are His stewards, His managers in this world if we follow Him. You know, uh, I think I shared this last week maybe, but um, before it was a a famous movie, before it was a blockbuster movie, uh, I was really into Lord of the Rings. I read the books at least twice, I think, uh, at least twice before it became a movie. When I went to see the movie, I was thrilled by it. I was one of those guys though. I was a purist when I was watching the movie. I'm like, hey, wait a minute, that didn't happen like that. I know it didn't because I read the book. You know, it was one of those annoying types. My wife had to elbow me a few times because I was getting like, oh, just like I am at baseball games or soccer games or whatever. I was like ready to jump up and say, that's not right. Anyway, um, I love Lord of the Rings. Something that struck me about Lord of the Rings, though, that I hadn't noticed before until preparing for this message this past couple weeks ago, actually, was the fact that Lord of the Rings is a book that begins and ends in the same place. And if you notice that, the book begins with the Shire. It was the place where the, the little hobbits live. And it actually ends, the last book ends in the Shire with the hobbits returning, of, transformed by their adventures, but they return to the Shire. And it struck me then as I was preparing that while the Lord, the Lord of the Rings begins and ends at the same place, and I think it's called a book ending, I came to notice too that our Bible book for this month, also begins and ends in the same place. Our Bible book in Ruth begins in Bethlehem with a conversation between the people of Bethlehem, of that village, and one of the characters of the book, Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law. And it ends in chapter 4 with a similar dynamic where the people of the town, Bethlehem, talk to Ruth uh, talk to Naomi, excuse me, in, in a very similar way, but obviously there's a major difference because the story of Ruth is not about Naomi or Ruth, even though the book is named after her, or Boaz, an individual we are introduced as one of the characters, very important character in the story. The story of Ruth is not about these people. The story of Ruth is about God. The story of Ruth is about the God we serve because the God of Naomi, the God of Ruth, the God of Boaz, the God of the individuals that become their descendants is the God of Jesus whom I follow and give my life to, whom I know many of you follow and have given your life to. And this book provides us insight into God's grace. That is, to the way God has chosen to interact with each of us, which the Bible says is a way that is undeserved. We don't deserve God's kindness. We do not deserve God to treat us better than we deserve. But the story of Ruth affirms that, and it's a testimony that runs throughout Scripture. The story of Ruth is about God. And what we learned in chapter 1 was the tragedy of this family, Naomi, and her husband and her two sons flee Bethlehem because it was a season of drought, and they go to the land of Moab. In the land of Moab, Naomi's husband dies. Her two sons marry Moabite women. One of them is Ruth. But those two sons die, and at the end of chapter 1, we discover that, that, that Naomi comes back to Bethlehem. She comes back with Ruth, who says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to commit my life to you, and it's just a beautiful piece of Scripture that that's just shows the dedication of, of, of a person to another in love. But the, the story of, of chapter 1 is that we found out that God's grace, God's grace means that God is with me in my bitter seasons. Because Naomi comes to the end of chapter 1 and she says, don't call me Naomi. My name is Naomi. Naomi means plenty, full. And she says, I'm not plenty, nor am I full. In fact, call me Mara, which means bitter, because that's where my life is. Yet, because this is a story of God, and even though the focus is on Naomi and her bitterness, we know as readers we see God working, and we see that God is with us in our bitter seasons. Tim Peace, teaching minister, then spoke to us about chapter 2. And we had an even more significant insight into God's grace and how it works in our life because Tim pointed out, hey, what we see is that God's grace inspires grace. When we are recipients of God's grace, we become conduits of God's grace, which inspires grace in life. And he focused on the kindness that not only Ruth showed to Naomi in saying, I'm going to stick with you even though uh, my future looks bleak, I'm going to stay with you even though things don't look good for me and are not going to be beneficial to me as it seems right now. I'm going to be committed to you and your God and your family. That kindness then inspired the kindness of a man named Boaz, a middle-aged bachelor who had gained some property and was doing well in business agriculturally. But he knew of the story. In fact, he was a relative of Naomi. And because of this kindness of Ruth, That we know comes from God. He showed kindness to her in allowing Ruth to be able to work his fields and to gain food that would provide not only for Ruth but for Naomi. And we learned from that that grace inspires grace. Last week we talked about chapter three, and in the story we discovered that living by God's grace means that we're to honor God the grace giver. And the focus of the story was a romance that began to really shape up between Ruth and Boaz. But in all of this, we notice that Naomi and Ruth and Boaz never shortcut what God's Word had called them to do. They never stepped aside, even though they had every reason to, even though the pressure was on, even though it was obvious that that Ruth and Boaz had a thing for each other. They never circumvented what God had called them to do in life. They never stepped outside of God's will and God's Word, but instead maintained a character that honored God in everything. And now we come to chapter 4. At the end of chapter 3, if you remember, Boaz makes a commitment to Ruth. She very clearly communicates, I like you. And he says, whoa, whoa okay, um, absolutely, I will redeem you. And if you remember this concept of kinsman redeemer, it was a part of the law of Israel. It was a law that protected women, actually. The law said if, if your husband dies then it's the responsibility of the next brother in line to marry you. And in marrying you, the children you would have would become the dead husband's heir. It was a way in which, which family women could be protected so they weren't left destitute, a male-dominated society. Uh, this was a way in which women were able to be protected from from being cast aside and just left to nothing, not able to 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 make a living and and to, to live life. No, it was a it was a law that was designed to protect women, the the law of kinsman redeemer. In Naomi's situation, her husband died, her sons died. There was obviously no brother who was close, and so the next in line would have been a cousin, and we know that Boaz was one of those cousins. The issue, though, was that Boaz was like number two in the, li- in the line of people who could make a claim to the property of Naomi's husband, and therefore also a claim to marry Ruth. And so Boaz says to Naomi, hey, I, I will fulfill what-, what you've asked me to do. I- I'll-, I'll see if I can redeem... You, I can marry you, but the issue is, is that there's someone else. There's this other cousin, cousin Jed. I don't know. I just made that up. Cousin who, who is in, in front of me, and I, I have to first check with him, but you sit tight. I'm going to see what I can do. And so, Boaz follows procedure. He honors God, and he honors the law of God, and he calls together a court. He meets at the, at the gate of, of the city. That's where a lot of these legal proceedings occurred. And he called together ten elders from the village who would act as judges and witnesses to the, the agreement that was about to happen. And he called this, this other cousin who was f- more in front, in front of him in terms of being in line with the kinsman-redeemer claim. And he said to him, hey, um, I would like to redeem the property of... Naomi's husband, but you are ahead of me, so I'm offering you first dibs. And the guy said, Oh, yeah, I'll do it. And Boaz, probably very shrewdly, said, Oh, by the way, do you realize it comes with an obligation to marry, marry this woman, uh, Ruth? And he was like, Oh. And for whatever reason, said, I, I don't think so. You go ahead, you do it. And Boaz says, I will. And he said, all right, you ten elders, you witness this. We see the deal, and there's something about taking off the sandal and giving it to him. Like, it's like signing on the dotted line. I don't know why they took off their shoe and gave it to the guy to do that, but that's what they did. in that time, instead of throwing the sandal, he gave him the sandal. He said, okay, let's shake on it. Stinky feet. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> that's what they did, and they see the deal. And we know then that Boaz married Ruth. He, redeemed, he acted as kinsman-redeemer, To Ruth and to Naomi. God bless them. Now, in order to help you remember how the story ends, I've got a little something that someone sent me last week. It was popping up all over Facebook as well, but here it is. This is something to remember how things ended up because uh, this is it. You want to shoot it up there for me, Tim, right there. All right, Boaz's favorite pickup line Before I met you, I was ruthless. (laughs) My laugh track. My laugh track likes that. Before I met you, Boaz used to say, I was ruthless. Maybe he said that, at, you know, when he got as a grandpa and he would tell the joke at the family meal, oh, before I met your grandma, I was ruthless. Anyway. <laughs> now, it's interesting that there's a line in it that says, the Lord blessed Ruth and she conceived of a child with Boaz and it was a son. And I, I noticed that. It's like, Wow. God's grace was, was poured out even more because Ruth didn't have a child with her first marriage, with her first husband, who had passed. God hadn't blessed her in that way. But now with Boaz, she was blessed with a, with a son, which meant now there was an, an heir to the property. There was a, a, a way the line of Naomi's uh, sons and husband could continue. It was a major blessing in the life of of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And chapter 4 ends with this picture of this baby boy who is born and the town celebrating that, and particularly the focus then shifts onto Naomi. And what you do is you come to the book ending of Ruth. Remember what I said in chapter 1? Chapter 1 ended with the focus on Naomi having a conversation with the townspeople of Bethlehem. And in that, she's like, uh, don't call me, don't call me uh, Naomi, call me Mara, bitter. And now we have this ending in the same place where we began. And so if you have your Bibles, let's, let's, let's read that because this is actually beautiful and I believe captures the essence of this, this entire story, it's quite a beautiful thing. So, Ruth chapter one, Ruth chapter one. At the end of that chapter, right? She says, "Don't call me Naomi." She's talking to about the, the the people of Bethlehem. They've just arrived. They're in chapter one. Remember, they've just arrived from Moab. They come with you know widow as widows. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, let's remember, who is the, the focus of this story? It's God. And what is, what is Naomi saying about God? Naomi's saying, The Lord, God, has afflicted me. He has brought me into a season of bitterness. I went away full, and I have now come back empty. But we know that God is with us even in our bitter seasons. And we know in the duration of the story, we now come to the ending, the book ending, if you'd like, where we see a conversation again between the townspeople of Bethlehem, making commentary now regarding the station of Naomi. And so we go to chapter 4, verse 14. The women said to Naomi, the women of Bethlehem said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord. I'm still talking about God, right? The God who Naomi said, You brought me to bitterness. But now we're talking about God after what has happened. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, a Moabitess, a foreigner, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Now hold those two pictures in your mind. Naomi returning from Moab, entering into Bethlehem, and people seeing her and saying, oh, it's Naomi. And she's saying, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. And now Naomi, being praised by the women of Bethlehem, and them saying, God has blessed you, and her taking that baby boy in her arms and holding that precious child. And, of course, all grandmas love their grandbaby boys, right? I mean, there's something special happening there, but there's more to this. There's more depth in this because this baby boy represents to her, this small baby in her arms represents to her the God she serves and how he has blessed her. The God, she said, had afflicted her with bitterness has now blessed her with this little boy. Returned to her her life. Brought her to the place of Naomi once again, full and plenty. You know, what has struck me about this whole story, what has hit me in the heart, when it comes to the God we serve, when it comes to the fact that this is the same God that I have dedicated my life to you, that I have I, I've accepted His grace. What this tells me is that the God that we serve is a God that is with me in my bitterness and brings me to a place of fullness. But He is a God that is concerned with the small. He is a God that that doesn't appear in the big because our expectation, as we think about God, we have this expectation that, that God is always in the big. He's always in the, in the lights and the camera and the lightning and the thunder and the, and the moving uh, multitudes and the rumbling and the earthquake and all the craziness that, that exemplify the, the power and presence of God. No, the God we serve is a God that does most of His work, His best work in the small, in those whom many might consider insignificant to those who are broken, to those who are empty, to those who are discouraged, to those who are struggling, to those who are ordinary schmoes and Mrs. Ordinary Schmo. Schmoette? I don't know. That's the God we serve. Came across a story that I think illustrates this very well. British pastor Matthew Hozier writes about a missionary friend who had moved with his family to do mission work in a Middle Eastern country. And in this environment, in this culture, this family learned that during festival days it was to practice that when there was a festival day, Friends and family would come over to your house and visit, would celebrate the festival by entering into your house, and you would share food and, and share treats and honor them for their visit. And so the festival of Eid happened, and this missionary family cleaned their apartment, dressed up their best clothes, in their best clothes, got candy and chocolate, which was traditional to hand out to visitors, and waited for the guests to arrive. No one came. They soon discovered from another missionary family that had been in the country longer, they soon discovered why this had occurred, why no one had come to their place. This veteran missionary couple said, on festival days, the small visit the big, and the big are the ones that give out the presents. And so, for example, you would go to visit your elder brother or your parents or your grandparents, and when you arrive, uh, they would ki- you would go and show honor to the older, the big. You would kiss their hand. They would host you by giving you gifts and treat you well and, and give you chocolate and money and other presents. And so you as newly arrived foreigners while well, you're on the lowest level when it comes to be considered small in uh, this society. So naturally no one came to see you. Now remember the story of Ruth. And what we see in the story of Ruth is something quite different regarding God. See in every other religion the small are told that they are the ones that have to go to visit the big. By their own strength and by their own good works and by their own sacrifice and by their own performance, they're to get a, gain favor from the big, the God they worship. But we know as much as we try to dress up nicely, we cannot be clean enough to enter into God's house without polluting and disrespecting it. But the consistent testimony of Scripture captured in the story of Ruth is that the God we serve doesn't expect the small to come into the big because He knows they can't make it. No, the God we serve is a God that goes to the small goes to the small. See, Naomi was a small person. She was a woman and a man-dominated society. She was a widow, which meant she had no husband and provider to protect her, no sons. And she was unable in many ways to be able to provide for herself because she could not access her husband's resources to take care of her and her family. Ruth was even smaller because not only like Naomi, she was a widow. Not only like Naomi, she was unable to access the family resources of a husband, but she now was also a foreigner, a stranger in in a community that did not accept her because of her race. Yet both women in this entire story we see commit themselves to God in the small of their lives, and God comes to them in the small. Because where God is, is automatically transferred, transformed into something big and significant. I mean, there's no greater example than Jesus, whom we celebrated his work in our communion time, right? The story of Jesus is that God became small. God became flesh and dwelt amongst us, the Scripture said. God, the big, became small so that we might have opportunity to be blessed in the big. He humbled himself totally to become small so he could visit us in our squalid house. And because he was God, he was big, and he played the role of host and gave gifts to us that we did not deserve. That's why it's called grace. See, the story of Ruth with its bookends reminds me that God transforms the small into the significant. God transforms the small into the significant. And this story is all about small. It's a small little book. It's all about small. It's, it's from the perspective of women, widows. It's, it's not about the intrigues of the palace and war and conquest and, and the, the issues of nations. It's about small things in life, about economic downturn, about making hard decisions to relocate your family to a new home. It's about dealing with the loss of a loved one and about issues that have to do with with the estate. It's about about trusting God to provide and and trying to figure out how am I going to put bread on the table. It's about romance. It's about parenting and marriage. It's about being a grandparent. Everyday stuff. Small stuff. And all, all these things, you and I need to see that the God of Jesus is the same God of this story of Ruth. And like Naomi and Boaz and Ruth, when we honor God in the small, when we invite God into the small and are faithful and trusting God in the small of our lives, God turns the small into significance. That's what Jesus was getting at when He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a tiny little seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and became a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. If you want to think about how it is you're to operate in life in this walk of faith, in being a a Jesus follower, being a Christian. The focus needs to be on the small because God transforms the small of our lives where all of us live into significance. And the question that I ask then is, as we look at the example of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and and the story that's contained and the message that we're told about the God who who has given us grace that we did not deserve and and meets us in the small, the question is then, is if I want to live a life of significance, how does that happen? Well, that happens when I give myself to practices that invite God into the small, that submit to God the small, the day-to-day the matters of my, my life and the calling of my vocation. For me, I've been blessed by an encouragement from a fellow minister friend of mine who said, you need to consider this practice. And it's a practice that you, you do two to three minutes, maybe three or four times a day, nothing major, nothing heavy, But it's a a way in which I have come to find helps me focus and invite God into the small. It's a practice that has its roots in Jesuit tradition. It's called the examine. And I'm going to share with you some details of how that works. Examine begins when you take a moment to be still. Take a deep breath in and out. When you, when you come in, you can kind of do a, an ancient Eastern Orthodox practice where you breathe in, you acknowledge that God is with me. When you breathe out, you confirm that you are going to focus on God. Be still. Second step is give thanks. After you, you take that moment to be still, just take a moment to reflect on what, what you experienced uh, If it's first thing in the morning, thank you, God, for a good night's sleep. Thank you, God, for shelter of my head. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to have a cup of coffee. Give thanks. Third step is reflection. Take a moment after giving thanks, after orientating your mind to Thanksgiving, take a moment to consider where you are and what you're experiencing. How do you feel about the day? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling concerned? Are you excited? Are you feeling worried? Are you feeling angry? Are you, feeling, uh, are you looking towards uh, dreading the moment? Are you looking forward to uh, what's to come? Take a moment to reflect on, on what is, where you are and what's going on. And in that, give that to God. Step four. Pray. Choose one feature of the day so far and pray. Turn your heart to choose one joy or sorrow or error to pray about. Give it to the Lord completely. And finally, step five, look toward the next hours with expectation. Tell the Lord that you are trusting in Him. Look forward to the moment that even though it may be something you're dreading, that God promises, never will I leave you nor forsake you, that if you hold on to me, the small is transformed into the significant. It's a practice that helps you learn, helps me learn that God transforms the small into the significant, that He does His best work, His most work, through the undeserving. Stuart Roche points out in a sermon that Ruth converted from the worship of idols to the worship of the living God of Naomi. In that smallness, in that conversion, her faithfulness became significant in the story of God because God transforms the small into the significant. Without God, we will never be satisfied. And if you're one of the people, the few people in this world that gains significant worldly experience, what well, you will discover that that significance is hollow and empty that a life without God present in it means nothing. And so if you have not made the decision to give your life to Jesus Christ, receiving the love that He has for you and being a conduit of that love, you will never experience ultimately the depth of significance. See, Jesus makes our small lives that appear insignificant, deeply significant, and Ruth is an example of that. And Ruth was written... Ruth was written so that we might find out at the end of the book that she actually is an ancestor of a man named David who becomes king of Israel, a shepherd boy, who slayed the giant, who is the great, 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 great grandfather of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, because Ruth... allowed God, welcomed God into the small. Her life became quite significant. In fact, her life was pointed to Jesus all along. C.S. Lewis wrote a story about a man who went to heaven one day. man was uh, given a tour by a tour guide. They have tour guides, I guess, in heaven, according to Lewis. As we were going through, there was a parade, and the man noticed at the head of the parade was this woman, this beautiful, regal-looking, amazing lady. And the man said, whoa, who's that lady? Is she the queen? Do you have queens in, in heaven? And the Torah guy said, no, she's not the queen, not at all. She's probably someone you've never heard of. Her name is... Sarah Smith, and she lived in the suburbs. Well, she seems to be a person of particular importance, the man said. Oh, yes, she's one of the great ones. I don't know if you've heard the saying in your country, fame on earth and in heaven are quite two different things. man said, know, ah, I haven't heard that before. Well, Who are those? all these young people who are part of the procession, these young men and women at her side? Uh, The host said, those are her sons and daughters. Oh, she must have had a large family. No? You see, every young man or boy that came to her back door with a package of delivery became her son. And every girl that she met was her daughter. They're here because... God transforms the small into significance. See, I don't want you to be deceived by the lie that your life is too small for God. I don't want you to be deceived by thinking that you need to spend it in search of self-sustained significance. I want you to understand the message of Ruth placed there for a very important reason, that we serve a God who transforms the small into the significant. I was talking to a group of men Thursday morning about the call that Jesus made to his apostles, fishermen. And we noted that Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you missionaries. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you preachers. He didn't say, follow me, I'll make you holy men. He said, no, I will make you fishers of men. I will take who you are, what you've been equipped with, your passions, your desires, the way you have been created, I will take who you are and the life that God has called you to be, even if it is small, and I will transform it with a new purpose because God transforms the small into the significant. Significant. So Jesus says, follow me and I will make you a welder for me who will affect men. Follow me and I will make you a teacher of men. Follow me and I will make you a housewife of men, an accountant of men, a business owner for men, a preacher for men, a woman who is an administrative manager for men my purposes. God transforms the small into significant. And the story of Ruth tells us that we serve a God who is seeking to come to us in the small if we will allow Him. If we will stop thinking... And, 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 and buying into the lie that, that it's up to us to be significant, but instead welcome God into our significance, into our small, and allow Him to redeem those things that we are at and doing so that God can transform the small into significance for Him. I want to ask that we stand, and we're going to close with prayer. I'm going to ask... Larry and Ken come down. These guys are available to pray with you in person if you would like. But we're going to pray together, if that's okay. I'm going to pray a blessing on you. I'm going to pray that God will speak to you directly, that as you go out from here, the, the words that are shared, the story that is being shared, the music that's been being sung, and, 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 and the, the things that we've done here will serve as inspiration, and that you will, you will, Align your life to the truth that God turns the small into the significant. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness and love to us. I thank you, the God that doesn't expect us, the small, to earn our way into your favor so that we might receive the blessings of the big. No, no, we can't do that on our own, no matter how good we are, no matter how nice we are, no matter how successful we are, no matter how much we have on our own account. We know that we can never be qualified uh, to stand in your presence, but yet you are the God who came in amongst us. You were born in that little town of Bethlehem. (laughs) You were born to a poor, family. You grew up in humble circumstances in a, in a town that people said, what good can come out of Nazareth? Yet in all of this, we see the truth of, of how you work, that you transform the small into the significant. You are the one that brings all that, 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 that have their lives and will submit it to you, and you make that significant in the way you design, and the way your purposes play out. We pray that you would help us to submit ourselves in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.